$56 trillion settled in just international trade. It's an enormous, enormous amount of settlement. And all of that is happening cross-jurisdictionally. And so therefore, the need for settlement finality and assurance is disproportionately high. Now think about everybody who pays to escrow in title when they transact on real estate. And now think about all of the clearing houses that sit on the other side of security settlement and trading. These are massive, massive value movers that do not have a trust-minimized settlement layer. This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. We are back for another week on Blue Collar Bitcoin. Pumped you've decided to join us. This week, we're serenaded by the rich, deep Bitcoin base, Mr. Harry Sudak. Harry is the chief strategy officer at Bitcoin mining company Grid, and he's a truly special Bitcoiner. He has an infectious optimism, a grounded realism, and a cognitive prowess that shine through whenever he sits in front of a microphone. During this discussion, the three of us cover topics including why hash rate is through the freaking roof, Bitcoin's potentially profound impact on the world's future, recent innovations in and around Bitcoin, miner extracted value, MEV, and the Bitcoin fee market, ordinals and inscriptions, and Canadians taking a dump in New York City. As we discuss with Harry, there is much still unknown about the future and Bitcoin's place in it. But what isn't unknown is that proper possession of a Bitcoin private key entitles you to a fully reserved allotment of the world's first digital bearer asset. The cold card is our uncontested device of choice when it comes to Bitcoin cold storage. It provides the best physical security for your Bitcoin. Your seed words are stored in specialized chips designed solely to securely store secrets. This thing is accessible for newcomers, but also advanced enough for the most hardcore. It's the only hardware wallet with the option to avoid ever being connected to a computer for its entire life cycle, from seed generation to transaction signing. As frigid as cold storage can get, ladies and gentlemen. Go to our affiliate link down in the notes for discounts on a plethora of CoinKite products, and plug in code BCB for a cold card and see what delightful discounts await you. Harry Sudok. Welcome into the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast. Yes, I did just pronounce your name correctly, uh, which is a big, big deal, I think, in Bitcoin. Like I was, I was thinking through before we click record, cold storing your Bitcoin, running a Bitcoin node, and then properly pronouncing S-U-D-O-C-K. Those are like the three litmus tests of a hardcore Bitcoiner. So I'm very proud of that. We're, we're pumped to chat. I got so much I want to cover with you. You're one of those people that I want to ask you about literally everything. So yeah, we'll contain so ourselves. We know you're a busy dude. It's funny, just before we start, uh, click record, Harry was showing us he's in New York City and there's like a dense fog from these Canadian wildfires. We coincidentally had a wildfire at uh, our fire department the other day. I was the uh, engineer. Some kids just started a brush fire because, you know, everything, so where we're at, everything is dry as hell. Obviously, it isn't everywhere around here, right? They started a little fire, turned into a bigger thing. And Daniel, you'll commiserate with this. No fire hydrant within like 500 feet. So we pull up like, oh, dude, tank water is going to take care of this. No problem. Well, Charlie blasted out the tank water in like two minutes. Then I had to pull a, we had to pull a skid, go 500 feet to this hydrant. It was a total disaster. Sprain your ankle and go home, Harry. I know, That's what you do. When you're a firefighter and you show up and there's not a fire hydrant within 500 feet, just fake an injury, go home. (laughs) You got to. (laughs) You got to. (laughs) 
we got to talk about it for a second because you you just showed us out your window. It seriously looks like, from our vantage point, a dense fog in New York. It's crazy. Yeah, it's like a horror movie. It's 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 wild. It's like um, you know, it feels like uh, I feel my eyes. I feel the irritation a little bit. I feel it my in my um, breathing a little bit. But you know, New York City is not notoriously a, a you know downwind wildfire zone. But uh, thanks to our Canadian brothers and sisters. They gave us a, a, a big northern gift. Get that under apparently. control, Canada. Jeez. Yeah, it took a giant shit in New York City. That's the gift they gave you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Can't can't leave soon enough. Dude, we uh we want to grab some kind of I don't know, unforeseen topics here. And I wanted to ask you about a book that you had talked about with uh last time you were on McCormick's podcast, you mentioned you downloaded Hail Mary. It's a Andy Ware book, the guy who wrote The Martian great book i read it it's one of my favorite sci-fi books at the moment i'm really curious are, are you still reading it i'm 40 percent dude in. what do you think um i'm loving it so far I, you know I'm, I'm a sucker for like a time jump and and you know multiple multiple kind of eras um i thought three body problem did a great job covering obviously a huge span of time um if you're watching yellow jackets on showtime that one's covering a pretty a pretty solid time jump storyline. So I I really like um like the the high action present day crisis situation that they're going through, um followed mm. by the like how the fuck did we get here? Um and right. so you're able to see kind of in in retrospect like the decision making process that's going on. Um, and sort of like, how did the, the powers that be, and I don't want to spoil it for, for all your guests, but you know, tell me if you've heard this sci-fi trope before humanity is in crisis. We need to develop novel technology (laughs) very rapidly to fight against it. Now we need to deploy the novel technology, you know, to, to solve the crisis. And we don't know if it's going to work. So, oh shit, I don't know. Is it is it going to go? Just, is it not going to go? Who knows? He just you know? spoiled it for me, dude. I'm not going to read it. He just gave me away the whole Joseph plot. Joseph Campbell wrote that book, you know, 100 years ago. It's already been done. But it is a really good execution of a good sci-fi book. Totally. And what I love about Ware's books is that he grounds it in reality, like in physics, like everything. I mean, a lot of that book gets way out there, but most of it is grounded in some like fairly solid science. Like he I think he has a lot of scientists yep. that he confers with in order to make up these stories which is cool it's not just off the wall to be off the wall it's fairly realistic totally which i enjoy so there, there's a really good um trope in fantasy science fiction and and also just like narrative building right there there's sort of two categories the first is you change one thing in the otherwise real world the other is you change everything so to 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 yeah. mm. to do you know the the counter you know, the counter positioning, um, one is, you know, the change one thing is, um, like three, three body problem. I mentioned it, like everything on earth is, is what it is. Aliens from 400 light years away, right. They change one thing yeah. and then everything else is grounded in, you know, the relatively physical world that, that we live in today, you know, totally other end of the spectrum would be something like Lord of the Rings right? We're, everything's yeah. different. There's different races. We're in a different mm-hmm. planet. We're, you know, there's completely different variables that, that you're engaging with. And I think, you know, when you go into, to dissecting a story like that, consuming a story like that, you know, knowing kind of which camp you stand in from the outset makes it, you know, number one, I have more fun, right? I'm not expecting one and getting the other. 
Um, but the other piece right. is it, it then becomes like much more actionable for me um, to think about, you know, what are the new ideas and what are the new kind of character relationships I'm, I'm getting to be a part of. Um, and then you, you transpose that onto like a real life biography, right? You know, so I'm a, you know, if, if you, if you had to sort of stack rank my genre consumption, it would be like sci-fi biographies and nonfiction. I don't know, like learn something new, right? Like, like what would you consider like, um, like, uh, uh, like Eric Voskel's, um, book, right? Like that's, that's just pure technical, you know, you know, theory, um, or like a Rene Girard philosophy book, like that's like the third category. Um, but I think that when you think about sort of the, the greats of history and, you know, why can you learn so much from them, right? You get, you get to consume all the lessons that somebody learned in whatever, 15, 20 hours of reading. Um, like I think about the, the John Rockefeller book where he, really lives in the everything has to be different category because he was living in the midst of a technology disruption, right? He's sitting at the intersection of rail and um, hydrocarbons, right? Both of those technologies didn't really exist at scale in scaled networked ways. Right. When he started, they were both the dominant technologies, both from a transportation, energy, um, and downstream manufacturing perspective by the end of his life. And so he is a person whose biography comes out of the everything is different category. Whereas I think of like, um, like who would be a good example of the opposite might be like, uh, like, a the, the Walton family, right? Like if you look at the Walmart biography, that, that's just one thing changing within the context of everything else. So like Jeff Bezos has a great quote, which is, you know, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to tell you all the things that are going to be different next year or in five years or in 10 years, he wants to tell you the things that are going to be the same and to build a business around mm. the things that are going to actually be persistent over a multi-decade timeline. No one wants to pay more. No one wants it slower. No one wants lower quality. You know, so these are, these are ideas like, you know, the reason that Amazon double and tripled down on a logistics business is because he was going to make the bet that nobody wanted a slower package. Whereas, you know, John Rockefeller went the opposite way. He said, actually, nobody's going to want to heat their houses with whale oil, right? Kerosene is going to be a fossil fuel byproduct and we're going to deliver it cheaply and to hundreds of, of order of magnitudes, more households right? Everything will be different. Steve Jobs, everything will be different. Everyone will have a laptop. It's not just going to be a mainframe that sits at corporate HQ. It's going to be something that's in your living room. And so the world is broken into these persistent ideas that go through some sort of incrementalism and foundational changes that end up actually being platform shifts that, that interact with our lives, you know, in, in scaled ways that we didn't anticipate. Mm. I mean, there's a huge noticeable thread to pull on there with Bitcoin. And that being, yeah, when you look at assets and existing financial infrastructure in the 21st century, what is going to stand the test of time over decades, not years? And that's where, as it often does, Bitcoin is not as it first appears. It looks like this flash in the pan, uh, losers trading this in their basement, when in fact it's got staying power over lifetimes, uh, probably multi-generational. The other thing I gathered from what you say, which shocks me, Harry, is that you don't just take in Bitcoin content, it sounds like. Uh, 
Dude, the bear market was made for other content, man. Totally. That's when you read books. That's when the sci-fi books hit hardest is in the bear market, dude. Yeah. Hey, this is part of, uh, you know, we were talking about podcast fatigue. And it's funny, we'll, we'll say as podcasters, any podcaster gets fatigued with their own content, but also just with Bitcoin content in general. And here, here's the sort of the interesting thing about where I'm at. And then I'm interested to hear where you two are at. If I was to make a scale, 10 the most excited about Bitcoin I've ever been. One's the low bound. I'm going to put myself, gentlemen, in like the eight category right now. I'm really excited about Bitcoin right Wait now. Wait a second. This- are you talking to like eight out of 10 scale when we ask old ladies like, hey, how bad is that trust <laughs> pain, pain hurt? And they're like, oh, 10. It's a 10. Oh, yeah. my God. It's never not been a 10. And we're like, oh, this is, this is yeah. a four, clearly. This is a hard eight, folks. This is a hard, hard eight. eight enthusiasm. Having said that, uh, I like to read and take in, as you two guys do, way more than just Bitcoin from a podcasting, reading, article, topics in general. And when you're creating a Bitcoin content, there is something naturally constraining about you're pretty focused on one topic. And hearing you guys talk about sci-fi, I think one of the things that I'm missing the most that I wish and I need to find, I need to carve out time for is just reading more. I've always read a lot. And now that I'm, we're kind of creating content, that cadence has gone down because there's always the something way. to prep for next week. I'm yep. reading fewer books per year, which I view as a problem and something I need to reorient and prioritize. Because as you said, Harry, there is no substitute for taking in something that someone has taken years to distill down. For sure. I love lo- long form articles. I love Twitter threads. I love podcasts. They are not the same as books. Yeah. Full stop. Totally agree. Before we move off this topic of books, though, the three-body problem, I actually just ordered that this morning. Going on a trip tomorrow, I, would, I needed a book. Ordered those three books because you back, you recommended those uh, when you were talking to uh, Peter McCormick. And uh, so I'm, inter- I'm excited for that. Dude, promise to have me back. I'm not... I Promise to have me back and we'll do a one-hour, two-hour on just that <laughs> book. It's that good? Is Hell it really yeah. that good? That good. Dude, I'm so pumped for this. I think the last sci-fi book I was so enthralled in, like the way that you seem to be with this was Hyperion. That I don't know if you've read any of that series. I haven't yet. Phenomenal. Very different spin on sci-fi though. Yeah. Very different. Before we before we get off the pseudo alien topic here, have you have you kept up with this latest alien controversy? Have you that apparently we like have ships in in custody and have been yeah. doing experiments? This is like Bob Lazar stuff. It's, we have spaceships in self-custody. Just fire up the Mark IV, man. This guy was uh, a decorated combat veteran, geospatial intelligence agency, which, which I've never even heard of, and uh, National Recon- Reconnaissance Office. And this guy says we've got spaceships and aliens. It's have, you guys, have you guys had Matt? Crazy. Man, forgive me if, if you have, and I haven't listened to it yet, but Matt, you've had Matt Pines, Pines on? Pines, yeah. And, and he's actually our next guest, Harry, so it's going to get deep on aliens. Yeah, he's not next Tuesday. You know, I am your I am your run of the mill Twitter conspiracy theorist on the alien topic. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do All not. Right, so you're right in our right in our wheelhouse. Yeah, then. I look. I, like I, <laughs> I see the tweets. We see the controversy. We see the threads, and and you know, it 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 you know it tickles my fancy like the next guy. But Matt is all the way in it. Oh so yeah. So he's gonna he's gonna take you deep. I was on the analyst desk with him in Miami. So I was sidebarring with him and he was, he wanted to make it very clear to me. Like the main message he wanted me to leave with, I could tell because it was the first time we met in person was 
Dan, I'm dead serious about this alien shit. And so, yeah. so dude, I'm so excited to talk to him about that, dude. It's going to be <laughs> it's going to kill. Like we're we might have to just talk about aliens exclusively through that entire podcast. That's his preference. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. All right, what should we get into here, Josh? Give us a I don't know where to start with Harry. There's a lot, man. Um I I guess give us your Harry, give us your high level. What are you excited about in Bitcoin right now? What have you what 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 did you see at the conference that was maybe way off your radar that you think is going to be a big deal that people may not be paying attention to? Um good question. I think, you know, right now feels a lot like the post COVID crash in March of 2020 where we were just like slogging through the trough again. Um, and so I think like it, it's a great moment for people who have staying power to like go, you know, you know, you, you make all your games, your 11th rep, 12th rep. Right. So this is that, right. This is the part where everybody makes all their mm. games this is the next, you know, 30, 60, 90 days, you know, and maybe, maybe much longer than that. Who knows? But, but it feels like we're at the point where it's the like, you just just keep going. Now is the time where we just keep going. Um, I think, and I, I'm hesitant to say it this way, but I, I almost think we're like out of bad news, right? The, all, mm. all the, I mean, what else do we have? We had Coinbase <laughs> getting sued, Binance getting sued, like the whole, exactly. the whole thing's just shitting the we bed. Stripped down, flogged, covered in tar and feathered. Yeah, what else can they do to us? The episode of South Park where they talk about people dying and they shit their pants like this whole thing just died and it's shitting its pants right now. And that's exactly where we are in this in the scheme of things. Yeah. Go on. Well, and and so like I feel pretty differently like when when Celsius and and FTX and, you know, the laundry list of of, you know, fractional reserve, you know, crypto banking blew up. Um the market just like puked was just relentlessly puking um, in Bitcoin and and outside of it. But what what's interesting about this is that um, we're not seeing that right. We're seeing you know everybody everybody who who was going to sell because of bad news has done so, um, and really everybody that's left are sort of the value builders. Um, we're seeing interesting businesses. I actually think there's there's a number of really interesting technical businesses that are coming out right now. Um, whether it's across the lightning space, um, I'm paying close attention to the mutiny wallet that's just coming out. Um, you should get one of those guys on to talk about what they're working on. I am, I am the wrong guy for it. Um, but they're, you know, they're doing a really good job kind of, you know, I think, I think we, you know, we, it's a bit of a trope, but like the UX hurdle remains relatively high. And so continuing to make sort of, um, technical progress and user experience progress without some of the compromises that a lot of of um companies have made in the past so continuing to kind of trust minimize and security minimize and anonymity um you know preference the software that's getting built without a huge ux compromise so i sat through a really really good um sparrow wallet demo from craig raw who is the the lead developer on that project founder and lead developer we love Sparrow, dude. We are Sparrow disciples. It's the best. We're yeah. Sparrow maximalists. You guys, you should get Craig. We should. We should. Craig is We've been awesome. talking about that, actually. Yeah. Um, he came. I was, Too bad we didn't get to meet him down there. He came to Bitcoin Park as well and did a small demo um, and workshop with us. So it was it was pretty sick to have him in Nashville. Um, I'm super bullish on what the mempool guys are doing. 
I think that their mm-hmm. their transaction accelerator is is a really really interesting step for them to take. Um, I think we're going to see. Uh, I think we're going to see sort of the the lightning usability unlock happen in a in a more major way. I'm already already seeing it. Um, you know, we just saw the the Google Cloud announcement that came out of Voltage, um, and that backend hardware. I'm sorry, that backend hosting um, capability is really exciting. You know, I I definitely get the like, what you want your Lightning infrastructure hosted by Google. Like that pushback is fair, but you know, we need to see a broad range of implementations. There's also limitations to what a Raspberry Pi can do. You know, oh. that I forget who was talking about it on one of the panels, but He's basically like some of the limitations here are basically, you know, CPU wise, as far as like if I'm running, you know, this Raspberry Pi, Dan's running one and you know everyone on the Lightning Network is there's limitations to what this thing can do just based on the hardware running it. So we are going to realistically need infrastructure that hopefully we can maintain both parts of this, this decentralized Raspberry Pi system that everyone's running. And as these things upgrade, they'll get better anyway. But the point is, is Google infrastructure is going to be robust and um, it'll at least give it some extra gravitas on the back end. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you know, the, the, there's a, there's a throughput component to lightning infrastructure that is going to come with a number of different trade-offs, whether it's using, you know, a fediment implementation, um, and, and, you know, the guys at Fedi are obviously leading that right now. Um, whether it's, you know, some of these, these hosted channels, um, or custodial, you know, partially custodial, semi-custodial, um, lightning nodes, like these are, these are things that's going to evolve into a tap, a tapestry of security trade-offs that are going to basically map to individual preferences at the transaction type level. And so when I go and, you know, when I go and do, do whatever kind of commerce that I'm doing, you know, on a day-to-day basis, a custodial lightning channel may be plenty. And and topping that thing up weekly or monthly is going to look a lot like settling a credit card bill. In my current kind of payment work stream, buying houses, saving wealth, building, you know, building my grandchildren's assets, like that's a different thing. And I'm going to be able to take on the security model that maps to each of those use cases. And so you know, when I get the pushback, but isn't that hard? Like, yeah, so is every single person in America being asked to be their own financial advisor as they put their money into stocks and risk assets in order to maintain yes. purchasing power. Like we are a sophisticated people and and we're going to be able to rise to the occasion for the tools that are available to us. Um, mm. So, you know, I'm really, really excited to see that topology start to emerge um, a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm super bullish on Bitcoin third spaces. Um, it's definitely a shill, but, but I joined the Bitcoin park guys, um, as a third and passive partner, uh, in their, in their situation, we're moving, we're moving down to Nashville, uh, and getting out of, you know, apparently this, you know, wildfire hellscape. Thank you. Hell yeah, dude. Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that's going to be, that's going to be fun. Um, and you know, the guys at PubKey are doing it. The folks down at Bitcoin Commons are doing it. Like this, you know, this need for fellowship among you know, amongst the Bitcoin community. I, I've been, you know, cautiously paying some attention to the the kind of I don't know, the the anti Bitcoin culture war that we seem to find ourselves in. Um, and I just think that like it's it's reductive and and stupid. And really what 
what Bitcoiners um, have accurately identified is a need for fellowship, right? We don't want to live life alone. We want to have a sense of totally purpose agree. and a sense of community. And has that manifested in a, in a little bit more white blood cell behavior than is warranted all the time? Totally. Well said, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that like we've, we've accurately identified the needs, um, the human needs, and, and we, we're seeking it out the best ways we know how. And so when, when you identify a need accurately, the, the job is to bring um, a higher quality experience to that. And so that's what we're working on at the park. Um, we're doing it with, you know, Lightning Summit and, and Mining Summit and, and a number of these different sort of two-day intensives. We've got an open meetup. We do uh, uh, national bit devs every month. Like we're, we're you know, we're just going to put together the program that we wish existed, you know, five, six years ago. We were talking beforehand, you know, 2016, 17 kind of time frame, like, you know, there were just a bunch of weirdos who would hang out with me in New York City and we talk about Bitcoin. Um, and that's the environment that that Odell came out of and Marty came out of and Pierre Richard came out of. Like that was that was sort of the the bit devs community there and, and we've kind of been scattered to the wind. Um, but I think it's it's that full circle moment where it's time to start to to reprioritize um, you know, doing Bitcoin in person together. I like your white blood cell comment in that where there's no easy answer is the the line between culture and cult. And this is kind of being bounced around right now. Nick Carter put out this big thread this morning. I'm not saying I agree with it all, and I'm going to get a lot of haters here. I actually think it was really well written, and I actually resonated with quite a bit of it because I do think that there is, a. And we say this all the time on here, but a, a lot of really black and white binary thinking, a lot of... I like to call them three book Bitcoiners, people that have read like three Bitcoin books and now their entire life and identity is wrapped in a protocol that they don't even know the first thing about how it's actually designed. <clears throat> That's one side. But to what you're saying, there is a vibrant, necessary, important, life-giving culture emerging here that we are, are tapping into ourselves. I and mean, down in Miami, you're around a bunch of kindred spirits, incredibly intelligent, thoughtful, kind, loving people. And that's because this protocol is more than just zeros and ones. This thing hits on a lot of deep freedom veins, incentives that we are craving for desperately in the 21st century. And so, like you said, you're going to have some people go overboard. You're going to have some shallow quasi-religious thinking that you're probably going to have to put up with because this is not just a momentous protocol and innovation, but also a really cool budding community. That is 100% worth tapping into. If you're listening, go to some meetups, go to a conference, get around other Bitcoiners because they are some special people. Some weirdos too, though. We'll say that. Totally. Oh, yeah. I mean, every community is full of them too. But yeah, yeah, we we, we saw a few. We saw a few <laughs> <Yeah>. of those. <laughs> um, <laughs> while, we're, while we're talking about the, the cult-like mentality that we're all kind of just sifting through and enjoying the hell out of, the uh, the ordinals debate was something that was supremely entertaining. I thought after listening back to it, Dan and I agreed that like there was a lot of substance delivered there, maybe with a lot of hubris and a lot of, you know, they didn't really bring it across in the way that people would receive it necessarily. People got all bent out of shape because they're making fun of Bitcoin culture and all that. But what I want to ask about is the minor extracted value portion of it. Um, that's not something I know much about. <clears throat> I, I was hoping that maybe you could elucidate a little bit more about what exactly does that mean in the context of Bitcoin and ordinals? Like, how do miners have to wrap their heads around this? And how important is it for miners to 
take this into consideration for the near future with ordinals being involved in Bitcoin? Yeah, um, it's it's a great topic. Um, I think it's important to give us a little bit of the the um, historical kind of emergence of what what minor extracted value MEV is. Absolutely. We're here to listen. We're, this is Sunday school. We're, we're at the front of the church. The pastor's speaking to us. It's not a cult. It's not a cult. There's a giant picture of Noah's Ark with some giraffes and elephants and shit climbing up. Go ahead. And it's all literal. Every bit of it is literal. Uh, so basically, this is an Ethereum thing, um, at least in origin, where because there is all of this um, highly descriptive programming language native to that software protocol um you can do a lot of stuff by settling transactions on ethereum and so you know what was that in in you know call it 1718 it's icos right you know ico is launching at x amount of time everybody wants to pile in to buying into that ico and so it creates an enormous amount of fee pressure to get to the front of the line. The difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin, and and it's a, a design choice that Bitcoin is, in my opinion, vastly superior, is just block time. So Ethereum has very fast blocks. So the chain tip is getting reorged in Ethereum almost by design. And so the ability to pile uh, uh, an MEV block ahead of a previous block is something that happens in that environment frequently and and to great financial gain to those who are paying to do it. So if you've heard terms like a sandwich attack or, or some others, you know, there's an article by one of the guys who works at Paradigm called Ethereum is a Dark Forest that captures a lot of this um, conceptually. Um, and then the the Bitcoiner who wrote sort of the big the big kind of um, critic you know critique piece um, is is Alex B on Twitter. Do you know him, Alex Bergelot? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Cool. So his I love his stuff. He and I he and I um, see eye to eye often, and um, you know his so his stuff is really a good critique of it. But it's important to understand that that the more non-native asset economic activity begins to accumulate in the transaction set of a current block, the more distorted the incentive structure around minor bidding on those transactions becomes. So how does that, you know, how does that work? Right? So the way that that worked in proof of work ETH was you go to an Ethereum pool, you tell them, I pay you lots of money, put my block ahead, do the reorg. And that was a standard, you know, MEV bot, you know, methodological choice that that chain basically optimized for inadvertently or, or on purpose. Now, we will likely not see that come to Bitcoin in the same way at all, likely, um, because of a couple of factors, one of them being that, you know, Bitcoin is the amount of hash rate on Bitcoin is massive. Um, and the block times for Bitcoin are significantly, significantly longer. So though, though there's sort of these natural friction coefficients attached to the way that new transactions are included in the Bitcoin blockchain, um, you know, over time. So I think that 
you know, what's, what's interesting is that we're now seeing non, non-native assets or non-native, uh, I should say non-native exchange rate, right? Someone wants to bid on a, on an inscribed sat, you know, that's on them, right. but that's not a function of the USD trading pair or the, the other currency trading pair against Bitcoin, um, in that block. And then, and then you extend that to the BRC 20, um, decisions, you know, in addition to that and, and, and a whole other set of incentives start to emerge, um, as well, you know, I think it's, it's, um, it's really, really interesting. I think that, you know, the, the piece that I think a lot about is that, you know, block space is a commodity good within the context of the yes. Bitcoin ecosystem, the same way that, that the UTXO set is a commodity good. Um, and there's, you know, like with, like with any, um, monetization event, the monetary premium that's accruing to Bitcoin is not really accruing to this other use case. So there's no sort of monetary premium distortion happening. It's purely a utility function for what that block space is being used for, for the individual using it. So, you know, I think that that's what I like a lot about it relative to sort of the ETH use case, at least from what we've seen is that, you know, ETH is just trying to mint a bunch of, of, I guess, uh, what we found are securities this week. Um, on top of it. And so it, it's purely this sort of um, this speculative race. And in Bitcoin, there's a component of that for sure. But the monetary premium is accruing to the endogenous asset. And the utility use case is accruing to sort of this um, complementary good. Mm. Yeah, I think reminding people of what you just said, block space, UTXO set being commodity goods is key because let's, let's draw a parallel. Like if someone sits around and says, uh, someone's saying fees are way too high. What does way too high mean? Nothing. It's a totally arbitrary. The, the yeah, price of nickel, yeah. the price of oil is way too high. And then trying to just change this is the seeds of our undoing worrisome regulation is the seeds of our undoing right we do we do not have a role to play in centralized control over a fee market you know look what was what was written into the software was a block size limit not a not a fee rate limit no one no yeah. one said nothing above 100 right. sats per v byte they said nothing above it was one you know one megabyte and now with segwit we're at whatever 3.9 or something I, I made the comment on the uh, on the desk after the ordinals debate. We're we're basically the the point was basically like we live and die by the free market in Bitcoin. Like if we're going to walk away from that, like what are we even doing here at that point? You know, like that is literally what makes this different. I mean, there, obviously, there's a whole bunch of other things that make Bitcoin different from the traditional finance world, but one of the primary ones is just how we're not getting bailed out. We truly live in a free market. This thing has no circuit breakers. It can go to one thousand dollars if. Nobody wants to buy it and nobody's going to save it. So trying to, you know, regulate ourselves with this kind of stuff is anathema to how Bitcoin is designed and should be working. This type of downstream, I don't even want to use the word consequence, byproduct of previous soft forks, right? It is going to, to make developers ask questions now about what a change is going to mean. Sure. Right. You think Segwit, Taproot, nobody really thought that we'd be putting, you know, dick pics in the witness data. 
Um, but kind of here we are. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying this could be good and that it, it could inject a dose of conservatism on the base layer, realizing that right. making soft fork upgrades could enable things in six years that nobody sees right now. I don't, I don't necessarily think this is a bad step currently, but it does make me a little bit cautious because nobody, most people didn't see this coming and we don't want to make too many changes that could adjust the chemistry of this digital gold, so to speak. It's also encouraging, I mean, on the plus side of all of this, it's also encouraging second layer stuff to start being developed in a more serious way. And we saw the arc announcement, we see splicing on lightning. We're seeing a whole bunch of developments on tertiary layers of this that probably wouldn't necessarily happen as quickly if there was no impetus for them, which is higher fees in the base layer. So one way or another, the market solves the problem. You just have to let the market do its work and let people implement and iterate until they've solved the problem. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work out. Totally. Um, I, I could, could not agree more that for every frustration I have with, with a diluted incentive set, on the one hand, it pushes positive incentive sets you know, to the other hand, which are these multi-layered scaling, you know, sense of urgency, minor revenues, which, which, you know, I will mine, I will mine your, your ordinal transactions. I will mine your BRC 20 transactions. And, and, you know, if all, if all you've done is separated yourself from your own sats, um, so be it. Yep, right. Yeah. Like that's the, that's, that, that's the, that's the ball game. Um, so I think that, you know, in while, while I, while I do feel frustration around some of the bloat, and some of the the um, I don't know the triviality, yeah. I guess of the, of the usage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's a, it's it's kicking a lot of dust up um, in a way that I that in a way that I find frustrating. Number one, all the transactions are in consensus. Number two, they paid a preferential fee above the transactions that went behind it, and so therefore, you know, it's our job to build the most exciting and compelling businesses within the Bitcoin ecosystem such that the monetization event remains the dominant process for Bitcoin, right? I, be- I believe that, that Bitcoin is getting mon- is, a, is a good in the midst of monetizing. Mm-hmm. And so what does that mean? It means that other monetary premia across other asset classes is inferior to the monetary premium that Bitcoin will command over time. And so it will suck the air out of those rooms. Yes. And it will, and it will bring the oxygen into the Bitcoin room. And that's really important because those other inferior monetary goods, and whether that's stock, bond, real estate, et cetera, those inferior goods offer individuals inferior trade-offs. And so Bitcoin offers superior trade-off sets around a monetization event. And that is what is exciting to me, um, first and foremost. And then if we get a bunch of other ancillary benefits that this software, uh, technology, ends up being incredibly useful for all the better. But, you know, but for me, you know, I'm a, I'm a, what's the most important thing person. And I try to pick one or two or three most important things and, and really aggressively focus on those. And so the monetization events surrounding Bitcoin over its 14 year history is that most important thing. And so, you know, that's where I choose to spend my time and and that's why we mine. And, and truthfully, Harry, if wizards are, ultimately threatening and usurping monetary transactions, then Bitcoin isn't monetizing <laughs> the way that we're suggesting it is. I think there's there's a connection there of 
the thesis, the bull case for Bitcoin is somewhat broken if there's no organic fee market for monetary transactions over ordinals and inscriptions. Basically, it's a roundabout way of me saying the market will work itself out if Bitcoin is as valuable for the application of value transfer as we suggest it is. And, and, you know, I think people struggle with um, the short-termism of the debate a little bit because they don't have a clear view on how much transaction settlement happens all around the world every single year. You know, $56 trillion settled in just international trade. It's an enormous, enormous amount of settlement. And all of that is happening cross-jurisdictionally. Right. And so therefore the need for settlement finality and assurance is disproportionately high. Right. Now think about everybody who pays to escrow in title when they transact on real estate. And now think about all of the clearing houses that sit on the other side of security settlement and trading. Right. These are massive, massive, massive value movers that do not have a trust minimized settlement layer. Mm. And so we, you know, we, we're frying a really big fish with this Bitcoin thing. And, and it's important not to forget that and not to get caught up in kind of the, the, um, you know, the short term kind of hysterics of, of the moment, because we're going after the biggest market in the world, the market for money, it's half of every single transaction and the size of those markets, as we observe them today are enormous. And if we're able to introduce a superior monetary technology to the world, we expect those markets to grow enormously and for prosperity to follow. Absolutely. One of the things that has surprised me, and I think Dan, you'd agree through this bear market is just how quickly hash rate has risen, especially in the last six months. <laughs> I want to hear what are your thoughts? Like what's going on here? What are the conspiracy theories? What are what's going on behind the scenes at these mining companies? Which you, you know, you're a part of that industry. You probably have a better pulse on this than we do. Who is putting on all this hash rate? Where is it coming from? And I mean, besides ordinals becoming such a huge free market and like producing some serious profits for people in the last, I don't know, three or four months. What, what's the impetus for this? What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I have a few structural thoughts um, around this, you know, and, and let's break this down into sort of three categories, which are the, the, manu- the, you know, the hardware manufacturers, the mining operators, and then the, just the overall sort of energy regime. Um, the first is that there's just a lot of machines getting produced by Bitmain and MicroBT. Right. They're, they're just, they're just pretty, you know, l- l- let's just look at the, the reality, right? You know, they command 80, 90, 95, I don't know, percent of the, of the hardware market as it stands. And they've produced a ton of hash and they've done so across high efficiency machines, right? Everything is somewhere between 20 and 35, you know, joules per terahash at this point that's coming off the factory line from them. Um, and that's all still extremely profitable, even with Bitcoin coming off and even with hash rate going up. Um, so, you know, that, that's number one is that they've demonstrated that they are skilled, capable manufacturers at scale. Um, number two is that I think we've seen an emergence, uh, of maturity in the mining operator space, right? You know, all those, all those big, you know, today, what today are the, the, the sort of the big American pubco miners. You know, those were all future orders in 2020 and 2021. Those are all delivered orders in 2022. 
and they're largely installed orders in 2023. Um, and so we've seen them, you know, have they delivered on every, on every prediction? No, but you know, but we, but you now have multiple operators within the U S all delivering north of 10 X ahead. Um, and that's really impressive. And that, and that's a big, you know, that's a big driver, um, here for sure. Uh, and then the third, you know, and, and we can get into some of the stuff that's happening overseas. I'm less familiar with it, you know, but there's certainly, um, you know, there's certainly a case to be made that, that, um, hash rate coming online, you know, maybe, you know, China returning to this market, maybe other jurisdictions that are not able to monetize their energy as effectively. Um, you know, that's pure speculation from, from my seat. Um, but look, the, the, the proof, you know, the proof is in the difficulty adjustment. And so we've seen this hash come online. It's real, better believe it. Um, and it's, a, you know, it's incredibly impressive to see this much um, computing infrastructure get stood up uh, over this kind of short period of time. But the the last piece is just the energy side. I think we're seeing, you know, miners get more sophisticated around demand response, around load shedding, around peak avoidance. And so, you know, even if, you, you know, when you, I, I saw, you know, a couple of years ago, I always saw that stat, you know, the U.S. has a great average cost of electricity, at, you know, six, seven, eight cents a kilowatt hour. And, you know, yeah, that's blended across a number of jurisdictions, blended across a lot of intermittent pricing across the day. And so what miners have done, you know, I, I always think of, you know, miners are basically the, the liquid in an egg crate where we're always looking for that absolute deepest trough point, uh, in, in the topology. And so miners have, sp have spent the last two, three years finding their way to those lowest cost points even in the, in the face of a macro environment that's driven electricity higher, um, you know, there's still strong margins to be had across mid-gen machines in the, in the, you know, 40 to 60 joules per terahash range and significant margins in the, in the 20 to 40 joules per terahash range. Are you surprised by how high it is just to, to back up a second? Like, are you, if, are you surprised by it just continuing to go up and to the right? And has grid have, have you had to do anything different than maybe you would have expected a year ago with strategy or implementation because it's still humming this high with price neutral? Um, look, I, I mean, you know, Bitcoin will always surprise you is my, you know, base, my base case. So, you know, it, it's, it's really impressive to see it get kind of this, this escalated, I think. You know, it's a testament to the creativity of all the operators um, all over the world, whether that's a home miner, whether that's, you know, a nat gas or flared gas, you know, operator, whether it's a behind the meter, industrial scale in front of the meter, you know, the, the, what it says to me is that the opportunities to monetize electricity are still just getting kind of the surface scratch. Yeah. Um, and that there are creative and aggressive and impressive entrepreneurs who are recognizing that opportunity and sprinting at that opportunity. Um, so that's, you know, that that's, is it, is it surprising? Yeah, it's really high, <laughs> you know, difficulty has gone up a ton. Um, but when you think about the, the use case for Bitcoin, all of the ways that, that being able to generate Bitcoin with no counterparty, um, that that's a hugely, um, valuable activity, I think all over the world for different reasons. 
Um, and so I think that, you know, for that reason, you know, I, I, I think hash rate, you know, number, number go up, um, for sure. So, you know, from, from the grid perspective, you know, uh, we're still in the middle of a, of a public market process. So I'm, I'm a little constrained on what I can say, but you know, our, our cultural values around operational excellence, you know, delivering value to shareholders and stakeholders, you know, those kinds of approaches are always top of mind. We always are staying aggressive and open-minded. Um, and so, you know, we're, you know, we're excited, we're excited to fight the fight in this market and in every market. Uh, my next question just centers on the United States and mining. I think when you were on here last time, you elaborated some on this, this being an amazing place to lay down roots as a miner and someone hashing. I'm assuming you still feel that way. Have you softened on that at all? Do you have any regulatory public perception concerns? Is anything tipping over on that end or are you just as optimistic as you've always been? Yeah, I mean the the short answer is I'm absolutely as optimistic as I've always been. I think I think you know hash generating hash rate in the U.S. of A. is is the right thing to be able to do. Um, I think we've got the, the court system and the property rights to be able to do it. We've got the natural resources and electric infrastructure to be able to do it. Um, we've got the skilled labor, um, whether it's whether it's electricians or plumbers in an immersion environment. You know, we've we've got you know some of the most incredible. Um, you know, skilled trade labor of anywhere in the world, uh, and, and being able to put, you know, those skill sets to use in the context of supporting Bitcoin is something that I think is, is incredibly exciting, um, to have happen here. So, you know, from, from all of those standpoints, I think, you know, I think that we, you know, we should be leading the charge around the generation of hash rate, um, for decades to come now, there are some pretty big, you know, you know, caveats that we should cover, which are the sort of energy FUD conversation is yep. one that I think um, needs to be, you know, described accurately and from a data driven perspective and put to bed in short order. You know, there is there is zero argument on a relative basis that Bitcoin harms environments. Right. Um, and and I think there's an absolute argument on a on a gross basis um, as well that Bitcoin is a, a huge net positive to every community um, that gets to have, you know, mining infrastructure installed. You know, we had a conversation. I've used this this anecdote before, but it's worth repeating, which is that, you know, when when inflation was topping out in the mid nine percent, we had a, a, a meeting with one of the utility executives that we work with um, and he basically said, look, when inflation does, I'm left with a couple of options. Number one is I can raise prices on households. Number two is I can lower the quality of service. Number three is I can raise debt for the, for the county, which is taxes. And then number four is I can find a customer like you. Yeah. And so when you think about it from that context and then following that on with the, the natural disaster at Christmas of this past year, we, you know, we gave back over 30 megawatts um, of power to the communities that we operate in because they were going through rolling blackouts because of outages during you know, that storm. And so that's, those are ten, you know, those are tens of thousands of households that would be subject to rolling blackouts on Christmas Eve without their friendly neighborhood Bitcoin miner. Um, and so from an economic perspective, it matters from an engineering and a grid reliability perspective, it matters. 
And so these are the stories that I think we're going to do a better job telling in the next 24 months than we did in the last 24 months. Um, you know, and then, and then, you know, the folks who continue to oppose, you know, are going to look like the folks, you know, it wasn't legal to use a credit card on the internet till like 1993 or four or something, right? The internet had been around for 10 years and everyone said, no, 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 no credit cards. Yeah. Um, and so think of all of the, the value, um, and the good that came from just being able to freely and openly do commerce on the internet via credit card. And now think about the value that's going to come from being able to freely and openly do commerce um, and purchase electricity that'll come from Bitcoin. Yeah. This is all back to basically the narrative war. Uh, we have got, you know, the mainstream media constantly berates Bitcoin for just existing. The very, very empty headed idea that just expending energy is bad for the environment instead of the nuanced case, which you just brought there over the last five to 10 minutes, which is very difficult for people to wrap their head around because they're not really thinking second, you know, third order effects here. They're just very simply thinking about energy expenditure means something had to get burned and something, you know, is polluting the environment. And it's such a, it's a very difficult nuanced narrative to bring to somebody who just, who maybe is predisposed to not want to like Bitcoin anyway, because they've heard so many other negative things in the media about it. And this just adds another nail to their coffin in their mental narrative of what this thing is. Totally. And a person that has no clue how energy works, not even a which base, is a massive amount of people, honestly, yeah, like, most people. I mean, yeah. I, I didn't really have any clue how energy utilities and energy infrastructures built out until sort of deep diving on it. The other the other thing about this and, and what gives me solace and optimism long term is that being anti-Bitcoin mining is just, it already is and will increasingly be just anti-profits and anti-renewables because it's just, it just works. There's no other way to put it other than it just works. I'm reading Jason Mayer's A Progressive's Case for Bitcoin right now. He actually does a stellar job in the first, I think it's around 80 pages of this book. He talks a lot about energy. One of the quotes I tweeted out last night was, Without Bitcoin, it's difficult or impossible to imagine building out renewable infrastructure in a profitable way. And as this free market incentive continues to, to become more and more contagious and infiltrate further, that's just going to become increasingly op obvious on the free market that you either do this and remain competitive or don't do this and fade off into oblivion because it, it, it just works and turning it down is simply turning away profits for for a lot of these energy producers totally and and and, and this is why you know there's i think that i think that what we're in the midst of seeing is that there are going to be businesses that are that are sitting on a big pile of accumulated resources and and let's just use a fuzzy variable for what what resources means um it might be brand it might be reputation it might be currency it might be patents who, who knows um, and what Bitcoin is doing is quietly forcing these companies to either adopt and integrate it over time or spend down those resources fighting it. Yeah. And so the war chest of the companies that, that bring Bitcoin into the fold are going to just be bigger and more impressive than the companies that fight it, I think. Um, and so, you know, that's, it's just this subtle shift of like, you know, you're, are you are you willing to do business on the merits, or are you willing to do business on the, on the face of the ideology? Um, and and ideology is fleeting, and balance sheets are are forever. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's physics versus you know imaginary things. Like the physics <laughs> wins every single time. <laughs> yeah. 
to get yeah, real, yeah. what what does or could worry you from a regulatory or political standpoint? There there has to be there has to be some things that maybe scare you, especially running a business in this sphere. What would be some of those things? Totally. I mean, I think like look, there there is no doubt about it that that political incentives do not map to business incentives one to one. And yeah. so there may be a dislocation between the political incentive structure and the business incentive structure that becomes so great that, you know, what I perceive or, or we might perceive to be irrational behavior emerges, right? We saw it in, in New York, right? Like they, they don't want, you know, they, they basically built a, a, a piece of legislation, you know, directly to target um, Greenwich and, and the power plant that they operate um, in, in Dresden, New York. You know, CoinDesk actually did a, a phenomenal job covering the community perspective on that. Um, don't agree with lots of things that Coinbase does or reports on, but but this was actually a great piece. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's you know that's something where you know the constituents of that town don't have any problem with it; and they see the benefit. So, you know, I think that when when political incentives and business incentives. Um, separate, you end up with, with bad behavior. And so, you know, that scares me for sure. And just the overall, you know, the overall kind of macro environment, right? We've seen significant inflation. We've seen significantly aggressive government spending. Um, we've seen, you know, all sorts of, all sorts of, of negative economic outcomes that come from, you know, the way that they hiked the rates most recently blew up, whatever the three, you know, the three, three of the top five or four of the top five, I forget largest banking collapses, you know, in American history. So, you know, let's not, let's not pretend that we're all standing on firm ground and, and let's be thoughtful about, you know, the, the context within which we operate. And, you know, the other piece, um, the other piece that I always try to stay, um, aware of and thoughtful about is just that Bitcoin's not that big yet. Yes. Right. We're still, we're still small. Right. And, and, you know, I, I, man, it might've been a Steve Jobs quote or, or something from his biography, but, but it's just this idea, you know, this, this thought that ideas are fragile and that, you know, when ideas, you know, are brought into the world, you know, they are vulnerable for a period of time and they are still fragile before they become, you know, dominant world beating, um, future driving thoughts. And, and well, you know, I, that is absolutely what I believe Bitcoin to be, you know, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that, that the future that, that the three of us have talked about and the prosperity that could become available, um, to us through that future, you know, is still a fragile idea. And if we do not function as good stewards of it, you know, we will lose it. It is not promised. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's not an answer for, for what regulation scares me or, or what, kind of, you know, negative outcomes could scare me, but it's just, um, you know, the, the thought that, that, you know, we as Bitcoiners become complacent, um, or take for granted the future that, that we, that we hope for, cause it, it, let's, let's be real. It's still hope. Um, you know, that complacency scares me. The Bitcoin community sometimes does walk around suggesting it's got a way bigger dick than it currently does. It's a, it's a, don't get me wrong, guys. It's a beautiful cock. It's a beautiful dick. It's just, it's just, it's just not 11 inches yet. And we need to be a little bit careful. And the, the other thing, Harry, is like, we have to think about public perception just because you spend 12 hours a week on 
on Bitcoin Twitter doesn't mean that everybody else does. And people still have this whole crypto ecosystem lumped together. It was a giant circus in which the, 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 the big tent caught on fire and killed everybody inside. <laughs> that is the perception from the outside. We know that Bitcoin's different. In many ways, the exact opposite. But we have to give some grace and credence to public perception that says there was an enormous amount of financial and collateral and yada yada recklessness in this space. And so, you know, I heard Nick Carter, he was on with with Peter talking about Operation Choke Point 2.0. I have to give that more thought, but it makes sense that people are confused, some of them worried, and policymakers are wanting some regulatory clarity surrounding this asset class because for better or worse, it's not completely decoupled from a perception basis. And that's some some real understandable FUD that we're going to have to continue to work through here in the short and medium term, in my view. I want to just comment about this. I, I mean, the idea of Bitcoin as a technology and as uh, what we know it as today is a new um, is a new thing. But this idea, this philosophy that it engenders goes back thousands of years. I mean, the ancient Greeks would have arguably been like the first people to come up with these you know, political ideas that we espouse today followed by the Roman Senate, the Magna Carta, the Constitution. These are deeply ingrained in our culture, especially in the West. These ideas about freedom and uh, what we espouse and what Bitcoin uh, fundamentally espouses, which is freedom of speech, freedom of, you know, to be able to um, send value around without anyone being an intermediary. It's it's self it's self enforcing property rights exactly right like this is this is this is what it's doing it's a self and it's a self enforced property right without without reliance on a third party um, whether it's a court venue or whether it's a police force or a standing army right it's, sure. it's property rights that are self referentially enforced absolutely I, you put it perfectly as people come to the recognition that that is truly what Bitcoin is fundamentally um, I think it gains it gains you know momentum as more and more people come to that recognition. And yeah, as a new idea, as a technology, um, I think it could be fragile in some ways, but as a, as an idea that has been as fundamentally Western for thousands of years, Mm. I think it's, I think it's more robust than we might give it credit for. Let me push you. Yeah. Let me, let me push back though, because I, I don't think that Bitcoin, the technology or any of the ideas that you described are the fragile part. I think the fragile part is that the entire global economy can reorient around a new settlement layer mm. that's fragile yeah <laughs> i i see what you're saying there because depending on how that transition goes the tr- any transition throughout history of a new system has been muddy very muddy i mean we saw it world war ii world war one that whole 20 year period between the first world war the second world war the great depression totally. nightmare scenario that luckily none of us had to live through and hopefully we don't have to live through anything like that you're right. The organization, the difference there is how do we get from here to there in a way that doesn't turn the world into turmoil? Let me ask an even, there's an even more basic version of the question. Can we get there? Do enough people believe that we can get from A to B? Is the, do- is, is the dollar going to enter into multipolarity? Is, is, China, is China manufacturing not going to win you know, the, future, the future you know, of, of hard goods and serve, of hard goods? You know, like the, these are really big and foundational ideas that not a lot of people believe yet. But I, I think multipolarity is the way this thing 
is likely to go, or at least for a long period of time. Like, I don't think China, the CCP is going to be like, yeah, we're running on Bitcoin. That There's no way that happens in my view. We're, we're going to, the answer is we're going to find out. But, but when I think about what, you know, what can I do to deliver, um, global value, the, the best thing that I know how to do, uh, is to be able to tell people that it's real and it's possible. And I believe it will happen. And so when I, when I start a Bitcoin, you know, spiel, which I do less of than, than I used to, um, is just like describing how it works and that it works. And wait, wait, when you rev up that machine, Harry, are you like us where you're like, you, you, you have a no, a go, no go decision. Am I going to, <laughs> am I going to take the brakes off and roll this Mack truck straight downhill? Or am I, I have no, I don't, I don't, I have two gears. It's either I go full frontal on you or I stay completely clothed and quiet. I can't go in the middle anymore. What, what we call that, or what I call that is, um, am I going to ruin the party? <laughs> so my fork in the road is, is on the left side we're gonna all keep having a good time on the right side i'm gonna ruin the party shit's gonna get real just completely fuck the party up too and the funny thing is if i was at the, if i was at the party with you you would fuck the party up for me hey we're having a good time i'm three cocktails in i'm enjoying the scenery you just fuck the party up because we're going to talk about bitcoin for an hour and 45 minutes people are going to get pissed Yep. And, 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 you know, I, for me, it doesn't happen, you know, friends I know well and, and close, I'm close with, they all were, they're all either, they're all either reasonably aren't, they are not orange pilled at all, or I bullied them into buying Bitcoin and self custodying it and making fun of me. Um, th- those are, that, those are sort of my close friend cohorts. You know, then there's like the, I'm somewhere, I know a third of the people or maybe 20% of the people and someone comes over and says, oh, what do you do? Um, and my, I have two, I re- there, there are two answers and, and it's the fork in the road, right? One is, uh, I develop large scale data centers. That's the, we're not doing this tonight yep. answer. <laughs> the other is, I am a professional Bitcoin miner. <laughs> and that's the ruin the party answer. Yeah, there's no going back from that one. There's no, there's no just the tip on that. That's full penetration right there. Yeah, and that's no pulling out either. That's you can't pull out once you start that one. Hey, but you know what? These conversations matter, dudes, because you said this with Peter. I wrote it down, and it it's basically like throwing meat to a couple hungry wolves. The two of us as firemen. You said the day I know we've won is when the labor force, the people that work, dictate to their employers that they want to be paid in sats. This is why narratives matter. This is why education matters. This is why you should push yourself to politely and responsibly and humbly share how good this technology is. And I I, I do emphasize the word humbly. I think one of the things I'm grateful for about our perspective, we were certainly not experts, but we were very into as a hobby macroeconomics before we found Bitcoin. We understand that there are a lot of broken things in the system, Harry. But the 21st century monetary landscape is not totally dysfunctional. It's still fairly well lubricated. It works decently well if you, if you compare it to other options Homo sapien has had through the, the millennia. And yeah. so to just tell people that totally. the, the, it, the sky is completely falling and this is your savior is not the place to start. Yes, when you understand Bitcoin and the potential scaling solutions and financial rails that, that are being and could be created, you, you get very optimistic and you see room for improvement. 
but I think it's a turnoff. Like I'm going on a, a, a getaway, a weekend getaway with my college buddies. It's been 10 plus years. A number of them work in finance for me as a fireman to bust through the fucking Airbnb and tell all these dudes that trade equities for a living or trade bonds for a living that the whole system's fucked and they need to go pile into Bitcoin. That's going to get nowhere. And, and I find that that gets nowhere with most people because today's monetary infrastructure, although it's got tons of flaws that we've talked about for 111 episodes on this show, it still works reasonably well in certain contexts and people need more than that. And the economy works in spite of those flaws, right? It's important. It's important to 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 be able to kind of share this piece of it. You know, in Miami, I got to spend some time with um, with Jeff Booth, who who is just uh, he's kinder than he is smart, and that's saying a lot. Um, and he, you know, we were talking about it. And we're, you know, the 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 incredible thing about sort of the American experiment is that we we have just transformational technology that's delivered boundless quality of life improvements. Um, and, and we're starting and, you know, this, it's a, this is the doomer, you know, view a little bit, but just, we're starting to see kind of the, the, the coming off the peaks of some of those from a life expectancy, you know, obesity, you know, some of these, these biomarkers for, for society, some of them are starting to turn, which is very scary. Um, but quality of life, you know, would you rather be John Rockefeller in 18, you know, 70 or yourself nope. today? Dan, the fireman in 2023 easily. Yeah, totally. for sure. Totally. Right. You don't have to, you don't have to, you know, ride a horse to get to the doctor's office to, you know, to, to amputate a pinky, right? You call an Uber and it's fixed up with stitches in like 19 minutes. No, you call an you call an ambulance is what you do in our area, Harry, and we our naps get interrupted. Yeah, you stub a toe. We, Dan, I, I don't think Dan's even Dan hasn't heard this story. We had a lady call nine one one because she got attacked by her cat the other day. She got, I mean, it's like you you hear this and you're like, this is nonsense. This woman was this cat leapt on her head. It tore her scalp up. She fell down the stairs. And she was in such horror that this cat was going to come back. And I, there was like a fucking mountain lion in her house. It's not this fun. cat was like, we shoved it in the basement. This thing was like a feral, like mountain lion that really fucked her up. Like it, she had scratches all over. Like, I don't know what she did with this cat, but it was pissed. So as an aside here, that was wild. Never seen a cat attack quite like that. Holy shit. I don't think I, we see some bad dog injuries though. Some of these yeah. pets, man. I have seen some dog injuries. I'm not even going to share on this. They're so bad. Um, yeah, sorry, you just got... We, we, it's like twice an, episode, twice an episode, <laughs> mid-sentence, we pop in with a firehouse story. Uh, I, have, I, have a, I have a nine and a half pound, so um, I'm not at risk. I am, I am the dominant male. <laughs> I don't even remember what we were saying before. Maybe this uh, is our... What were we saying? Sorry, we totally de- um, derailed. Oh, we were it. talking to Jeff Booth. Yeah, uh, just just the quality of the qual the, the quality of life that deflation that techno- technological deflation has delivered um, is massive, right? So all of the time saving, the ability to get into a into a carbon fiber tube and get launched across the country in four hours, mm-hmm. like ridiculous, ridiculous, <laughs> right? That's that's three and a half days in a car. That's like six months in horse. 
<laughs> dying of dysentery on the way there. Yeah. Drinking some exactly. bad water. That's it. Done. Game over. Get the leeches. Off. Get the leeches. Get your nuts cut off by a tribe in fucking Ohio. You know, yeah. Yeah, dude. Get scalped. <laughs> Shit happened. So these are the these are the things that that modern life has offered us. And and we've gotten all of that deflationary value, technological improvement on the back of a flawed monetary regime. And so to say that, you know, that that light, you know, life is bad, fix the money, fix the world, you know, my answer is is life is good and could be better, fix the money, fix the world. Yeah. I think that's a healthy way to look at it for sure. Amen. And I think a lot of people they get very excited when they read something like Dalio's Changing World Order, amazing book. Like he goes through four or five different monetary regime changes over the last 500 years. But the important thing to keep in mind is that this stuff happens at a pretty long scale. Like just to say, to see here and say the dollar is going to die. It's very likely it's going to take decades for that to happen. And we're hoping it does because the smooth, the transition can be much smoother if things don't happen in a quick manner. That's just the way you want it to happen. So yes, things definitely can be better. They could be much worse. However, I mean, we've avoided nuclear war for the last 70 years. We haven't had any crazy, on woods. really crazy shit happen. So we're in pretty damn good shape and we're doing better. Yeah. But we can be doing even better. I think a lot of Bitcoiners think they have low time preference, but then Bitcoin steps in front of your face and challenges that one step further. And I, I've had this conversation with my wife where I've explained, I think there's a chance that, that the thesis I'm describing plays out beyond our lifetime long term. Uh, like in terms of this really clicking and, and I, I mean that I think we're going to see dramatic adoption while I'm on this earth, but this thing could play out, as you alluded to, Josh, over a very long period of time that may beg some questions to some Bitcoiners. Are you, str- are you strapped in for that long of a ride? Is this for you? Because it could take that long and there could be, tr- there could be valleys that last mm. a lot longer than you anticipate. That is a scenario I've been thinking through more recently, playing through a real choke point kind of draconian regulatory environment in the US where this thing kind of ducks for cover and becomes obscure for a decade. Are you really prepared for that? I'm not saying that's likely. I'm just saying that's theoretically possible on what is a very unknown future trajectory. Just to give you uh, a a point of contact, because I totally agree with that. Um, The Great Depression was less than 100 years ago, right? The the bread lines and, and, you know, you know, world... World War II, 80 years ago. It's not that long. It's not. No. It's just really not, not that long ago. You know? The time, I mean, it's so easy for people, people to forget. I mean, clearly we weren't there. So, but those firsthand stories, that generation that experienced it, changed them significantly, which changed their kids significantly. And we do these like tides of history thing where every fourth generation we've completely forgotten the horrible shit that went on in the past. And then we tend to repeat it. That's the kind of thing that scares when you, uh, yeah. when you, when you think about that deeply, I think about my life in these time spans. Like I'm, I'm in my mid thirties. You go back two times. I'm storming the beaches in Normandy, getting my left arm blown off. Like that's not that long ago. I have not been a lot alive that long. And that's how I think through these timelines. And I, th- I also think through just the brevity of the time I have. You double your life. You're, you're in one place. You triple your life that you've had so far, at least at, at my age. You're gone. 
and and I think that really helps you zone in on on what matters, what's important, and soaking in every day, every month, every year. Because man, Damn. is it going quick! It's got the ruminations of a it's midlife going, crisis right there. Going <laughs> so beginning, quick, dude. dude. It's going really fast. Midlife crisis yeah. begin. I'm gonna need a Corvette or something. Yeah, dude, get a yellow Corvette, tan leather interior. Not a chance. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing about Bitcoin. It, it makes you. So 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 frugal and so obsessed with cash flow when you start digesting this bitcoin thing and back to the labor force harry we're seeing saving habits at our firehouse that i never dreamed possible out of some dudes some dude for the first time getting the implications of this whole bitcoin thing all of a sudden cash flow is king and having that extra car that insane vacation or that totally unnecessary house with the fourth or fifth bedroom you never use goes out the window and you become sat hungry totally just just try to end the day with when you started yep absolutely but enjoy it while you're here because we're not going to be here forever you're not taking it with you exactly yep. uh handoff harry you end this how you want to you grid what, whatever you want our audience to know before we sunset this discussion yeah i mean i i think you know it's it's a it's a we're, we're whatever six seven years i'm six seven years into a, a bitcoin journey and um i'm still having so much fun right definitely definitely have to swat swat away some of the the you know you said it but mountain you know mouth breathers on the internet you know those you know those those experiences continue but i just i had not i have not um i couldn't have dreamed i'd make as good friends and build a such you know such exciting and fun relationships business relationships you know, uh, just, just all of it. I just, I, I feel so, so fortunate to have gotten to be born in a time where a life like this is possible. Um, you know, I, I take the, the happy warrior role very seriously, um, which is to arrive with, with, you know, significant aggression, but also compassion. Um, that's a, that's a combination that, that, you know, I try to cultivate, um, when I'm, when I'm able, you know, get down to Nashville to Bitcoin Park. We'd love we have a full full podcast studio, so we'd love to we do a, to, a show out of the studio. Yeah, we do. We could do like ten shows down there, I'm sure. Yeah. In one day. We'll just McCormick. In one day, this just thing. go full blown McCormick on this thing yeah. and just record like sixteen episodes in two days. Dude's pick insane. a day when pick a day when we've got um, a summit. You can have a bunch of guests in person. Heck yeah. That would be cool. Um, loving loving working on grid, loving sort of the the you know, the mission of sitting in between better money and better power. Um, I think that, you know, you know, money and electricity are tools of human flourishing and, and delivering those in higher quality at lower cost, um, and, and lower friction, you know, to, to Americans and globally is, um, it's just the highest calling for me mm. and, and getting to do that is just, it's just such, it's such fun. We, we had Hersman on from Gridless recently, and mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've been talking awesome. over for a long time, but the energy inclusive byproducts of Bitcoin could be just as significant as the monetary inclusion byproducts. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that potentially that big of a deal. Could, couldn't, couldn't agree more. You know, I think the, you know, the number of skilled entrepreneurs and skilled leaders and skilled parents and, and just people all over the world who, you know, they're just facing a natural resource constraint from being able to realize some of that, that capability. Um, 
it, you know, makes me, you know, only more excited to be part of a global economy that benefits from the fruits of their labor. Amen. Harry, thank you, man. You have a great rest of your day. Stay, stay inside, dude. Keep those lungs yeah. healthy. Oh, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not going out. Today. This is this is dark. You might actually, <laughs> you might actually need to wear a mask out there as much as you probably don't want to after the last couple it's of years. So it's so it's so funny that I was on a call earlier and that's exactly um, that's exactly what we were joking about. I was like, you know what? It's time to <laughs> time to mask. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> call Fauci <laughs> real quick, dude. Hey, Fauci, <laughs> should I wear a mask for this or is this not necessary? I don't want to. I, I don't want to waste them. Sudak was going to go full blown cuck, but here he goes. He's putting a mask on here. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately going to wear a mask later. Wait, can this, we this see? Horrible forest if, if, fire. Feel free to say no if you got something you don't want the audience to see. But for YouTubers, can you show them out your window right now? Can we see this? Uh, Dude, it looks like apocalypse yeah. now out there. Yeah, give me a sec. I got the dog gate. Harry Sudak on the move. <laughs> By the way, I did pronounce it right, correct? It's Sudak. You did. You crushed it. And 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 other people have gotten it wrong, and I and I don't mind. It's all good. Holy Dude, crap. You look like you're, it looks like you're in Beijing right now. Yeah. Right? I've never seen anything like this. Like, this is, you know, across the street is hazy. It's nuts. Wow. Yeah, dude, mask up. Yeah, it's wild, guys. And 95. You don't want that Canadian smoke. It's even worse than any other. Yeah, it com- comes, with a, comes with a side of true don't. And square wheels. <laughs> sorry. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. I'm so sorry about... The fires that we had to make up burning, but it was cold in uh, northern Canada. So maybe we could um, give you some be, of our uh, byproduct down south. We got to be careful, man. Like half of our sponsors are Canadian, and I think like a third of our listeners. Oh, oh hey, hey, MBK. Hey, hey, bud. I'm coming for you, hey. So could the Canucks win the cup next year, hey? Sorry, Rodolfo. Sorry. Sorry, sorry Steve Barber. Love you, boys. We sent recently we went something like this we said if you're a grown man never call another grown man bud and it was a joke from fire just don't call guys bud when they're your and then a bunch of canadians chimed in they're like ah uh, that's not the case up here we call everybody bud we're like everybody's a bud in canada it's a, a, a bud bifurcation <laughs> that happens when you cross the border all right go to work get some actual shit done here today <laughs> sounds good guys i appreciate it take care that's a wrap, ladies and gents. Apologies to any Canadian who may have listened to this one. That got a little out of hand there at the end. Man, oh man, is Harry full of depth and wisdom. Josh and I simply love talking to this dude. Folks, if you aren't listening to us on Podcast 2.0 apps, why? You're simply missing out on free sats. You can go find the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast on our favorite app of choice, that being Fountain. Send us a boost and tell us what you liked or didn't like about this episode. We may just reply and send some sats back your way. If you are enjoying the show, you can do us a serious favor by taking a minute out of your day to leave us a review or subscribe on your app of choice or on YouTube. Our email is bluecollarbitcoinpodcast at gmail.com. Always feel free to shoot us a question or a comment. And until next week, stay relentlessly curious, folks. Thank <laughs> you.